What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. from the Vivid Seeds studio at you with another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. I am recording this after the Knicks have just completed their third preseason game of the um, of the preseason <laughs> against the Atlanta Hawks uh, in which they go down 100 to 96. Going to talk a little bit about that game. We also have a great interview coming up with Mike Vorkanoff of The Athletic a little bit later in the episode. Uh, but first, of course, your reminder to one, use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Steets mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time, customers only. All right. Let's take a step back. Um, let's take a step back off the ledge. I feel like if you're listening to this, there is a good chance that you are a proud, card-carrying, flag-waving, banner-holding member of Nick's Twitter. As am I. It's a, it's, you know, it's the coolest club going. But I have to say... As I was watching the Hawks game uh, tonight, and before I, I get into the main points from it, I just I felt like it was important that I started this out with a little public service announcement because what I was seeing from Nick's Twitter, I, I, I didn't I didn't so much care for. Let's let's all remind ourselves, and maybe you know you're listening to this. It's the morning after. Um, maybe you you've settled your soul a little bit. But we have to still, you know, remember third preseason game of a year in which they will play 83 more times if you count Friday's game against New Orleans. This team played 10 guys tonight. Um, Of those 10 guys, um, what is it, seven were brand new uh, with the exceptions of uh, no, sorry. Um, six were brand new because DSJ was back. So DSJ, Knox, Mitch, and Frank played, um, and uh, everybody else was a new face. So the only holdovers that you had are uh, two guys who were rookies last year, a third-year point guard who is 21 years old, and another third-year point guard who was with the team for a month and a half last season, or a healthy month and a half last, at least. And it was making his first game action uh, tonight. So 
you know, I was seeing a lot of hand wringing. I was seeing a lot of consternation on on again on the on the Twitter sphere. And it's just, you know, I feel like it's my duty as the harbinger of all things kind of calming and even keeled in this Knicks uh, conversational universe that we have out there to just start start things out by by giving that gentle reminder. It, it's a gentle reminder. That's all. I'm not prodding. I'm not poking. I'm, I'm being gentle. I'm, I'm holding you softly by the hand as I as I help you step back from the ledge. Now that we got that out of the way, um, I think a, a good format to do these post games in because you know it's easy to kind of harp on the negatives and and look, there's going to be a lot of negatives this year. I I kind of want to hit on one big picture topic, and then I want to talk about three positives. And I'm sure as we're talking about the positives, there will be some negatives dispersed in, but I, I want to try this format and, and see if it works out well, because I, I think right from the get-go, it's going to be important on a, as we're watching a team that is probably going to lose, if not 50 games, something close to 50 games. It, it's going to be important to remember the big picture and remember the things that are actually important. And you're going to hear me harp on a lot of those narratives and, and themes throughout the year. And I'm going to harp on a few of them tonight. Um, so you're going to get used to hearing them. Before we get to the positives, I want to start out with my my one big thing for tonight. And my one big thing for tonight, perhaps unsurprisingly, if you've listened to me before, is Frank Nilakina. Now, Frank Nilakina, if you did not watch the game and you checked your trusty ESPN box score, you will see that Frank Nilakina played 21 minutes, had four field goal attempts. He made one of those four field goal attempts for a glimmering 25% uh, field goal percentage. Finished the game minus seven for two points, got four fouls, two turnovers, two block shots, one steal, three assists, uh, three rebounds, one of which was offensive, uh, which was I, probably the biggest play of the game. There is absolutely nothing about Frank Nilakina's stat line which stands out to you, and nor should there be. And if you watch the game for stretches tonight, there were certainly moments where Frank did not stand out, as has been the case over the two years that he has been a New York Knicks. He is not someone that always jumps off the screen at you. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, when he's out of sorts and he's not playing with confidence, uh, he will jump off the screen in all the wrong ways. I acknowledge that, you know, at this point, it's his third year. Uh, he is now, uh, again, I'm going off the top of my head. I want to see say he's like five or six for, I don't know, close to 20 in terms of field goals on the, on the preseason. So, you know, for all that we thought maybe this third year, his shot would improve thus far, at least we haven't seen it. He seems to be shooting with more confidence. He seems to be a little bit more aggressive out there. We have not seen it translate into made baskets. I get all of that. 
I get all of that, and yet I watched this entire game tonight, and I saw two point guards, and one of which was was Dennis Smith Jr. And Dennis Smith Jr. I I almost don't want to talk about him because he looked like someone that that probably shouldn't have played tonight. He looked like a guy that was playing at half speed. Um, I mentioned it in the post-game periscope. My my brother texted me and said he felt like he was watching a beer league point guard, which is, is not inaccurate. Um, Trey Young was having his way with him on just possession after possession after possession. It was really ugly and, to be honest, kind of sad to watch. Um, I, I don't think that's Dennis Smith Jr. I think we saw a, a like the real version of Dennis Smith Jr. last year, and it and it wasn't that. But even the version of Dennis Smith Jr. that we saw last year, the healthy version of Dennis Smith Jr., I still, and nobody does, nobody knows if that guy is going to be a guy who's going to be able to do all the things that Fisdale said in his, in his I think it was, um, media availability yesterday. You know, do the things that he claims he wants in a point guard, which is, Organize an offense, certainly didn't do that tonight. Um, defend the position, didn't do that tonight, and, and didn't really, and again, didn't really do either of those things a whole lot last year. Attack the basket, yes, of course, we know that is the one thing Dennis Smith Jr. can do, even though we didn't see that tonight either. Um, so, I'm not saying anything bad about Smith long term because again I'm not going by what we saw tonight tonight was not a fair and accurate depiction or representation of the Dennis Smith Jr. that we know can exist on a floor but all I'm saying is that it's an uncertainty and based on what we saw from Smith Jr. tonight the answer to the point guard question is not going to be yes 100% it's Dennis Smith Jr. that's not going to happen in the next couple days or then even the next couple weeks. It's an uncertainty where Smith is concerned. So let's take that piece of knowledge and consider it and now move on to Frank. Because if we don't think that Alfred Payton is the long-term answer at point guard for this team, and I don't think anybody, you know, thinks that, um, I, you know, Payton might be a nice player despite what he showed last game. Didn't get off the bench tonight. Fisdale said afterwards it's because he wanted to give Smith and Frank, you know, as many minutes as possible. Given the uncertainty that we have about Smith, then we at least need to still kind of give credence to the idea that Frank may be the best long-term answer at the point guard position that is currently on this team. And I'm not saying that he is. I'm just talking about currently on this team today. So, as long as that is a consideration, why wouldn't, based on some of the things you saw tonight, and and what were those things? Well, it's the last five minutes of the game when Frank checked in and absolutely positively shut down Trey Young. Um, Like I said, grabbed a very big offensive rebound, and as soon as he grabbed that offensive rebound, made what was easily the best pass of the game. We've seen maybe three or four really good passes from the Knicks this preseason, like really good ones. And 
Frank has made at least a couple of them. He made the beautiful one to Taj Gibson last game. He made um, the one to a cutting Bobby Portis on that play off the offensive rebound. He just has the look and feel of a guy that if he could ever just get some consistency with his outside shot. And again, so many players that we we talk about and we watch, so much of their game is theoretical. Like Dennis Smith Jr., again, not to pick on him, but so much about Dennis Smith Jr. right now is theoretical. The shot is theoretical. The defense is theoretical. His ability to organize an offense is theoretical. His ability to be unselfish is theoretical. With Frank, the only thing at this point in his game that is theoretical is his ability to consistently hit outside shots. That's it. That's the only thing. We know what he is outside of that. And we saw those things, some of those positive qualities, on display at the end of the game tonight. Now, if you're listening to this and you are not a Frank fan, you are probably either thinking to yourself, or maybe if you're in your car or in the privacy of your home, or maybe even you're on the subway. I don't know. Maybe you like shouting things out. Um, You are saying to yourself or saying out loud that, yes, we know what Frank is, and what Frank isn't is a point guard for the modern game. And what I mean by that is he's not someone who, like we saw Trey Young do repeatedly tonight, and like we see if we turn on essentially any NBA game, literally any NBA game, odds are you're going to see a point guard who can hit an outside shot and break down a defense to at least some extent. Frank cannot do, he can't shoot right now, and he he's not ever going to be someone that could break down a defense. That's not his game. And to a lot of people, that by itself has disqualified him from even entering the conversation about whether he should be a long-term candidate to fill the point guard position for the New York Knicks. So why am I bringing it up? I'm bringing it up because over the summer, the Knicks drafted a guy by the name of R.J. Barrett. Perhaps you've heard of him. He profiles as someone to me, and we already heard David Fisdale talk about the fact that he wants to give him some reps at point guard. And I I think if you've ever watched R.J. Barrett play, that should not be a surprise to you. Barrett is a guy who, no, he's of course he's not ready to take on, you know, ball handling duties full time right now. But he's someone that has enough of an on-ball game that if you put him next to a guy like Frank Nilakina. There's a possibility that those two coexisting on the floor at the same time between the two of them can give you enough ball handling and playmaking and drive and kick ability to keep you honest against opposing defenses. And yes, there's a lot of other things that need to happen too. They need to be surrounded by shooting. They need to be surrounded by probably one other guy who's a creator, which, oh, by the way, the Knicks have in Julius Randle. Um, And from the looks of it, they're going to go through him on offense a whole lot this year. So here's my point. If you got a guy like Barrett on the roster and he figures into your plans for the next, oh, you know, 10, 15 years as an organization and as a franchise, then why wouldn't you give Frank the chance to maybe see if he could be the other half of that relationship? You know, at the very least this year, and maybe for longer than this year. And the reason I'm going on this rant right now is because, in case you didn't see it, Mark Berman reported before the game that um, the Pistons 
had a scout, uh, old, once a Nick, always a Nick, uh, Malik Rose, in the garden tonight. And this comes on the heels of uh, someone who covers the twist, the Pistons, and I apologize, I forget who it is, tweeting out uh, a few days ago that um, the Frank is basically a guy that the Pistons should look to steal on the cheap. You know, and isn't it a coincidence that they had a scout there tonight? And isn't it a coincidence that Alfred Payton didn't play? And isn't it a coincidence that that Fisdale said before the game that Frank was going to get a significant amount of minutes? And isn't it a coincidence that, yes, he did get a significant amount of minutes? I hope all of those things are just coincidences and that this was not a showcase game. And that I'm going to wake up by the time you're listening to this or the next day or maybe after Friday or whatever and see that Frank Nilakina has been traded for um, the Lakers 2021 second round draft pick. Because, oh, by the way, the Pistons don't have any of their own second round picks for the next four years. But even if they did, like, again, I'm sorry, don't trade this kid for a second round pick. And I'm not saying a team would even give up a juicy second-round pick for him at this point. But you know what? Uh, see it out. I mean, really, see the thing out. That's my that's my two cents on Frank and Dennis and the whole point guard thing. Um, three positives for the night. Not harping on the negatives. Three positives for the night. Positive number one. After coming out and giving up 61 points on defense in the first half, the Knicks came back and they gave up 39 points on defense in the second half. Um, On the evening, the Hawks shot 36.7% from the field and under, just under, 30% from from behind the three-point line. Um, If you take away Vince Carter's stat line, uh, the Knicks actually did a really good job defending. Trey Young ended up 7 for 19, 1 of 4 from deep. Um, The Knicks played a little defense in the second half, uh, which was nice to see after, you know, the effort against the Wizards at home uh, to end last week, which was just absolutely the most desultory thing you'd ever want to see against a team that was playing a bunch of guys who actually literally aren't in the NBA anymore because they cut several of those guys after Friday night's game, including Justin Anderson, by the way. So that's one positive. Knicks played a little defense tonight. Um, second positive, uh, I, I'm my second positive actually for tonight is Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox, if, again, if you look at his stat line, you're going to see 20 minutes, two for eight from the field, um, only scored 11 points. To me, Soup to nuts, even though he's only played two games, he missed the last game with an injury. I'm not going to say that Kevin Knox has been my most impressive player through two preseason games because I think that's going a little bit far. But he is the guy that I am, I think, most excited about watching his progression this year. And I say that only because I feel like we already kind of know what we're going to get from Mitch this year. And I I thought he had a nice bounce back game tonight. Um, I feel like we know what we're going to get from Barrett this year. 39 minutes again for Barrett tonight. I, it's unfathomable how much Fizz is playing this kid. But hey, you know what? If he could handle it. Um, Knox was more of an uncertainty. And I feel like what we've seen from Knox through two games um, really makes me happy and should really make every uh, Nick fan excited. Um, because he was good. 
the third positive that I'm going to give, let's see, which direction should I go with this? Um, I've talked about him a couple times, but I, I do have to give it to Barrett just because, and again, not a great stat line, 12 points, 4 of 14 from the field, um, had a lot of looks that he probably should have converted that he didn't convert, um, missed all three of his attempts from from downtown, got to the line five times. I think he's actually going to average about five free throws a game this season. But he got six assists, seven rebounds, two steals, one block, only turned the ball over two times. He just, and I have a feeling I'm going to be saying this like a broken record all season long, he looks the part. When he does something good, it does pop off the screen, and it is very obvious, and it's um, it's exciting because, you know, and, and I, I'll end this with what I started it with. Um, there will be nights where Nick fans are going to need to be talked off the ledge this year, but just keep in mind, if you end this season and you're a Nick fan and you have watched R.J. Barrett Maybe not have a good year, but look the part, more or less, for 82 games. And you get two more of these young guys, whether it's Knox and Mitch, or whether it's Mitch and you know Frank, or whether it's Mitch and Knox and Frank, whoever. You get two more of these young guys who really pop and really are like, okay, I know I have this three- or four-man core moving forward. And there's just a general positive vibe about the organization, and you're going to hear me repeat this point on my my pod with with Vork, which is coming up in in just a minute. You have to smile, and you have to be happy about about things, regardless of what else is going on. And um, you know, I think we've seen that again through three preseason games. Barrett looks good. Mitch, more or less, looks good. Knox looks good, and Frank, again, I'm happy. I think he looks good. So, all that being said, let us, um, well, before we move on to our spot with Mike Vorkanoff, uh, a quick public service announcement from our friends at MyBookie. Um, a reminder, the regular season is actually just around the corner, and MyBookie had you covered for your pregame, in-game, and season-long betting. They got some great odds. You could go to MyBookie.com and, uh, and check out. They have uh, season win total odds for the Knicks. If you think that they are going to win, uh, let's see what the odds are right now. The odds right now are, I think it was 27.5 last time I checked. 27.5. Come on. I think, you know, they held the Hawks to 100 points tonight. I think the Knicks can get to 27.5 wins. That's not unreasonable. Um, Rookie of the year. I don't know. You know, all it takes is one Zion Williamson turned ankle. And who's sitting there for you? R.J. Barrett at, at plus 580. I, I think those are pretty good odds as well. Uh, let's check one more. Oh, yeah, the, the division winners. So you get 90 to 1 odds on the Knicks to win the Atlantic Division. Hey, you know, I mean, yeah, I got nothing for you. Sorry. Um, okay, anyway, so these odds just scratch the surface of what my bookie has to offer. And a reminder that Overtime has teamed up with MyBookie to give you this great offer. So if you sign up at MyBookie.ag and use promo code OVERTIME, they're going to match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME. New users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. 
Let's get to the rest of the podcast with special guest, Mike Vorkanoff. Okay, so I have with me uh, the... The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, I don't know how much of a legend he is in the eyes of some Nick fans after the last couple of days. <laughs> we'll get into that right Legendary now. Legendarily stupid. Um, the Athletics, Mike Vorkanoff. Mike, uh, first of all, before we get into any of this, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. We got a, uh, another preseason game tonight, so uh, you know, I'm doing my own prep. I'm getting, I'm stretching, doing the calisthenics, all that. Um, I hope it's not with the Knicks training staff because, um, I mean, has there any, it's, I would say what, there's been six, six guys injured throughout the first two preseason games. It's not, not a great ratio. Um, yeah, I mean, outside of, uh, Reggie Bullock, I think they're all new. So, you know, that's not what you want to quote another, uh, former New York area manager. No, 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 no. Um, it's not what you want. Um, so you have been very active over the last um, few days with some really, really interesting stuff that I wanted to just get into. Um, the first of which, you and The Athletic in um, at the top of any Knicks piece over the last several weeks have given fans an opportunity to um, take a poll. And I thought it was a beautifully structured poll, by the way, asked all the right questions. And you released the results of that poll yesterday. And we'll talk about the results in a sec, but I want to start with the thing that I found to be most interesting, which is this. In a poll that asked Knicks fans to report their level of satisfaction with the team, and there were several different answers for, for, that, for that question, one of which was happy. Only two, was it 2.6 or 2.8% said happy? 2.6% said Knicks fans categorically describe themselves as happy okay. out of the five dwarves we asked them to answer with. And yet, based on the response to your initial tweet of characterizing only 2.6, but again, you're, you, you literally were just taking the results of the poll and reporting them. The reaction was, I don't know, how would you describe the reaction? There are a lot of angry people who thought I somehow skewed uh, my reading, or I guess that skewed the results of the poll, which I don't agree with. Um, I took down the tweet because I, I understand how some people might not understand why I tweeted it like that. Uh, and so just to be fair to Knicks fans who got, you know, I'll put my mentions very quickly. But, you know, the, there was an option to vote happy. 2.6% uh, of Knicks fans said that they are happy, which means that 97.4% of Knicks fans are objectively not happy. And it, so I'm going to just – my own – so I, here's – I'm kind of the person that's always trying to think of all sides of, of every aspect of Knicks fandom. And I, I saw your initial tweet, and I'm like, well, that's not quite – accurate but at the same time i'm like well it actually is accurate because if if you had it if 2.6 percent said they were happy then that means by definition 97.4 percent of people are something other than happy now we could get into what the things other than happy are and like if you're hopeful like there's a certain amount of happiness that comes with being hopeful and we could get into those semantics but at the end of the day like i on one hand, I sympathize with the people who were angry because I had that initial tinge of like, oh, wait a minute, that's weird. But then I'm like, man, 
where are we at as a fan base where, and again, I'm not excluding myself from this, where are we at as a fan base where a reporter takes a poll and objectively reports the literally the results of the poll and it makes, you know, it makes people angry. So I, I, where do you think about this? I, I mean, look, I, I think there's, as I've covered the team for uh, like almost two years now something like that um i think to say that there's a discomfort between the fans and the media is you know downplaying things and so i think to some degree there's always kind of like a search for grievance which i i get to some degree like the knicks there's really only been even if you try to write neutrally about the knicks there's really only been things that can be perceived as negative about them over the last 20 years right so at some point you feel like people are piling on it's almost like just like a uh you're just trying to survive the onslaught of of media uh, who are saying that your team is bad or your franchise is poorly run um and, and so i'm sure a lot of people thought it was just me doing more of the same but um you know the, the facts were what the facts were they were, and, and they are. Um, so you did this poll. Was I have to ask? Was there any other than uh, than the reaction to your initial tweet? Was there anything about the poll that surprised you? Uh, there's one thing. There's actually a few things. You know, there's. A, I was surprised how long term negative um, some fans were. Like you know, to the when next time the next one make the playoffs question. Twenty three percent said twenty twenty three or later. Yeah, I saw. That. Um, I thought. I, I was surprised by that. I thought more fans would say like 2021 or something like that, or just earlier, basically. Um, I was kind of confused by some of the the responses to like, do you think James Olin has been a good owner, and then do you trust him to run the franchise going well? There's like eight uh, percent fewer who, or there's eight percent more who trusted him to run the franchise well, but thought he had been a bad owner, which was confusing. And then the same thing with Steve Mills and Scott Perry. You know, forty percent approved of the way they would run the team, but then only 30% um, trusted them to run the franchise well going forward. So it's just kind of those those gaps that were a little confusing to me. And then I, I think there was a lot more said about kind of the favorite players on the team at this moment that, that probably speaks to the psychology of where Knicks fans are <laughs> right now. Yeah, no, I thought I thought the the dichotomy between the, specifically, I guess, the Mills-Perry um, question results and the the first thing we talked about which is how fans feel about the team was like the most interesting because um it's almost like and i think that all ties into the media stuff too right because it's like there's buy-in and i i don't know i almost i i think fans want like media to acknowledge more of that fan buy-in does that does that make any sense yeah it does i i mean I guess you always want the things that are written about your team to be reflective of what you think, right? In a lot of ways, especially now, we choose our media as a projection of our own thoughts, right? That's a great um, point. So I don't know. I get it. I I don't disagree. I don't agree that that is how a team should be covered. You kind of just write about what you see and try to be as objective as possible. And there's other places where you can find um, kind of the more fan-centric, I guess. Fluffy stuff. Looking at the team. Fluffy stuff. No, it doesn't, no, it doesn't mean, necessarily mean fluffy. There's a lot of pissed fans out there who I'm sure wish the team, like some reporters were less neutral about it. And uh, I've, I've had a lot of those in my mentions too. 
But it's just it's just on the general point. I, I can see where they're coming from, though. You know, as I told a few people in the last few weeks, I think it was just like, you know, I, I think the coverage has been pretty neutral. I, I would agree with that um, by and large. Again, not 100 percent. But, it you know, it even manifests itself in like you sent out another tweet today. You tweeted out um, uh, Baxter Holmes piece, which was a, a fantastic piece, by the way. And I would encourage all all Nick fans to read that just because it's a, a well-written piece, you know, and you yeah, point- yeah, and you pointed out something from the piece which says, um, as as part of the reporting that Baxter did, that you know Dolan, there was reports that you know Dolan butt in um, uh, after the 2013 or 2012 2013 season ended, and in terms of the roster, and it was you know it was a fundamentally important part of the story that kind of detailed how like Carmelo Anthony, you know, some of it was self sabotage, but some of it was circumstances around him, and it made sense. But there's this, you know, and there's this feeling. And again, I don't, I don't exclude myself from this. I get caught up in this stuff too, because I'm, you know, I'm a fan. Um, and and it's like media or Knicks fans feel like there's a target on their back. And I just, I wonder. I, I would assume if the team starts winning, that this will all start to change. But I, I don't even know if that's true, to be honest with you. But I don't know. I'm curious. What, what do you think? Uh, do you mean from the fan aspect or the media aspect? I mean, listen, I think if they start winning, then it's, you well, know. what from, comes from, first, the chicken or the egg? I, I, <laughs> I don't know. The winning has to come first, like no matter what. Yeah. Um, you know, the winning solves everything. And when you win, like you as fans, you finally get to gloat and need to be happy with your team instead of, let's say, hopeful. Um, you know, from the media aspect, like if I'm covering a winning team then you write things that are like more positive right like then you write about how they're doing this well and that well and developing players and such and making good free agent additions like you know the tenor of the covers changes because the on-court product changes it's it's kind of like a very causal relationship i, I think yeah no i i would agree and and to that point you had um it was actually it's a few weeks ago now but you i think it's a few weeks ago you wrote um a piece about the several different scenarios that could unfold the season and you had uh, one for the the doom and gloomers. You had uh, you know a couple of middle of the road ones, and then you had one that um, what does uh, Alan Seppenwell refer to it as the poly Pollyanna ish? Uh, yeah, fan. the Pollyanna thing. Yeah, the Pollyanna Knicks fan. I think you. What did you say? They might win forty one games, which God bless. Um, I <laughs> I'm curious what if this season goes really well. Um, in your opinion, what do you think will be the biggest X factor that makes it go well? That's an interesting question. You know, I'm actually writing something like where I have to think of what the best case scenario for the Knicks looks like, the worst case scenario, the most likely scenario. Um, if it goes well, you know, I, I, I think it'll be driven in a lot of ways by their young players more so than by the veterans. And I think that would be good for the Knicks. Like, I think that. Kevin Knox would become, let's say, like an average NBA player. Um, And I think Dennis Smith Jr. would have some semblance of a jump shot. And those all kind of look like like maybe not even marginal improvements, but those matter on the aggregate, especially when it's guys who are getting significant playing time, right? Like R.J. Barrett. um, And I think people are going to be surprised maybe by the statement, but I think the like a baseline expectation for R.J. Barrett Barrett this year is that he's a below average basketball player. Oh, I think that's um, fine. I don't think he's going to be very good yeah. this year. Yeah. Like if you if you look at the history of top five picks or some top ten picks, like who should get the amount of usage that he does? Like I think only uh, like a dozen or maybe a dozen and a half players have been good, have been above average. So just expecting him to be anything other than that is probably hopeful. Um, but if all those guys play well, you know, and 
kind of makes some of these veterans uh, obsolete to some degree. I think that's a great outcome for the Knicks. Like they win 35 plus games, and their their young players are good. Good. Uh, who's the, like I don't know who the X factor would that be, but maybe it's you know Knox or Smith or uh, Barrett or something like that. But I I think all those guys in Aggie playing well would be a great situation for them. Yeah, I've I've said that or in, intimated a few times that. If you know, if you can, I think uh, like Zach Lowe had his um, league pass rankings, and you know he essentially said this franchise comes down to five guys: Mitch, Knox, R.J., Frank, and and Dennis Smith Jr. I think if three of those five guys hit this year, um, and I do think R.J. has to be one of the guys that hits. I don't, I don't think. And, and again, with the caveat that hitting for R.J. means he looks the part, not necessarily that he's a good NBA player. I think if three of those five guys hit, and there's generally positive vibes emitting like internally from the organization, I feel like regardless of if the win total is you know whatever, 36, 32, 28, it can't be too low, but. I feel like the season should be considered a success. Now, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself by even putting that out there. Um, but what do you think about that? As long as the young guys produce and it's just there's a good vibe around like the locker room, around like the front office, you know, seven months from now. What, do you think that that's enough? I, I mean, I think that's an accurate take of things. Like if, if they win 30 games, but it's mostly – built on the growth of their young guys um and even if some of the vets that they signed in free agency don't contribute much i think that's still positive progress like to me i think the worst case scenario in a lot of ways is kind of an empty calories type of like 32 win season i agree where it's it's based on a lot of the vets that you just brought in on one-year deals or you know essentially one-year deals playing well and propping you up but then it's like okay are we gonna resign them you know like from the next point of view like are you gonna bring them back are you gonna give them long-term multi-year contracts are you gonna spend to keep them here again at the cost of the young players like that to, to me that to me causes more problems in the long run than if you if you do it with great contributions from the young guys and you know i think a 30 win team that way is a look differently next offseason than a, a 30 win team the other way uh it's a great point and um yeah i think that <laughs> that certainly bears watching and obviously that's one of the many things that'll be on fizdale's plate this year um, a couple rapid-fire ones before I ask you about the article that you dropped today, which was great, and we'll finish up with that. Um, gun to your head, what's the Knicks record this year? Oh, I think I wrote, what did I say, like 31 and 51, I think. I think I had to predict that somewhere else. I, I, I That's kind of, you know, that's above the Vegas predictions, the 538 predictions, so I'm giving them a few extra wins, and maybe things kind of click, and they win a few games they shouldn't in the Eastern Conference. Um, I'm not going to spoil my final prediction column that's coming out on Monday, but I am very close to your number. Um, do you think- I was surprised that Knicks fans expect that in that poll again to reference it. They, a lot of them said 28 to 34 wins. I thought they might have been a little more bullish. I Listen, if this team wins 35 games, they should start getting the bronze ready for uh, a statue for David Fisdale outside of MSG. <laughs> it, that's just me. Um, is they, Well, uh, on that note, is David Fisdale the coach of this team one year from now? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think so. Yes, I think inertia is a great pull. Um, I think they'll make some, you know, forward progress. But I got to tell you, man, those first twenty-five games—they're brutal. They are very difficult. I think they have like twenty playoff teams or twenty teams who couldn't there's make the playoffs a, again. There's a five-game stretch that's a little bit of a reprieve after like the first three weeks uh, that has like Cleveland and like a couple other not so great teams, and then it's well, just. I think- a gauntlet. 
I think that five game stretch has like the Mavericks and the Bulls and the Pistons. And that's, you know, those are all teams that are at or above the Knicks level coming into expectations wise coming into the season. And then they have, I think, 11 straight playoff teams on their schedule. Um, and they go out west for four or five of them. And, you know, it ends somewhere around Christmas. And it's just a very difficult, yeah. very, very difficult first 25 games. I mean, they've talked for a year and a half about the improved culture. Well, that's about to be put to the test so um you know we'll see if they could survive that uh it's gonna be a firestorm um last quick one um before i ask you about that that article from today frank nilakina um are they picking up his option i don't know i'd say it's 50 50 uh they have to make a decision on dennis Smith jr too uh no one has really talked about that much i would assume they pick his option up for a lot of reasons um, but the, the Nilakina one, you know, I would, I would guess by now they have an idea of who he is, right? Two year sample size and what they saw over the summer and all that greater than whatever the next, you know, six games are before October 31st. And to me, it's actually kind of interesting because he would make $6.2 million next year. That's, that's not like an insignificant amount for a guy who you might consider to be again, you're, you know, Maybe your backup point guard, maybe like one of the many wings that you have on the perimeter. It's a like I would pick it up because I think his value is worth betting on. Yeah. But it all depends on how you expect to spend this offseason and where you think you'll be next season in your kind of competitive life cycle. Um, maybe they don't think they can spare the cash, they have the cap space. Well, if they think that, then um, everybody needs to have their head examined. Um, you, you've never seen Angry John, by the way, but he'll come out if they don't pick up that option. Um, last thing before I let you go, you came out with a really fun article today on players, um, interest in The Alchemist, which is a book that came out, uh, was it about 30 years ago now? Yeah, I think Um, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, I have not read The Alchemist, um, which is probably, I should probably be ashamed of considering that I am an ELA teacher. Um, but such is life. I'll, I'll get around to it one of these days. All I could think of as I was reading all of the players that have been reading this and some executives and, and other people is I think something like this in terms of the, the collective mentality in the NBA right now is like a cyclical thing because I'm thinking of like, well, Jerry West didn't strike me as this, the type of guy to get be like this thoughtful. And then you move to a different generation of players. Then it was like Kareem and a lot of players who took after him. I could see that, you know, Bill Walton. Then we go to like Michael Jordan. I don't think Michael Jordan would have been carrying around this book and, like, quoting, uh, you know, the different uh, ethos from it. And now we've kind of reached this this other point where, obviously, it's very in vogue to be this thoughtful and everything and, and introspective and all of those types of things. My question to you is, do you think we've reached a tipping point and it may start to cycle back the other way where players become, like, less, I want to say, less thoughtful about themselves, their lives, their careers and all that kind of stuff or do you think this kind of mentality is here to stay no i think it's here to stay i mean i think it's just you know it's it's kind of this progression of um people wanting and expecting more from athletes now uh and athletes are also wanting more from themselves and they you know they want to talk about their personal growth they want to talk about all the different cultural things um that they're interested in i think it's great like i wrote about how uh, a few years ago when i was writing something for the new york times about how more nba players now are interested in art and have art collections of their own and i talked to elliot perry 
who was doing it back in like the 90s and he said like i had like three people around the league i can talk to uh and now now there's like dozens that have their own collections or are building their own collections and it's you know I, I think it's great like it's it's a reflection of society to some degree we have more diverse interests and we have we're not a streamlined anymore right and and athletes that way are that way too they they're interested in many different things and they happen to play basketball and on the whole i think that type of um you know kind of holistic personality is good for society. Actually, one more. I just thought of this as you were talking. Do you think the fact that there are media members out there like, well, like you and um, like a lot of writers for The Athletic, like, you know, people that write for The Times and and in in kind of a place where we're like holding on to those last, um, you know, last footholds of, of what the media maybe used to be in terms of its introspective um, nature and really doing like in-depth pieces as, as the, the industry is like dying around us in some ways. Do you think that's part of why this stuff is maybe coming out more or do you think it's just the nature of like the players are just changing or, or, or interests are changing or something? I, I think it's both. I mean like interests are changing and also there's more people asking them about um – what they're interested in, right? Like there's different, I think the type of coverage of the NBA, let's say, is different than it was 20 years ago. Writers are interested in different things and so they're asking about different things and I think like the expectation now is that the NBA um, is viewed as like a cultural touch point rather than an athletic one. Sure. And so that makes us view the people who play the games differently and write about <laughs> them differently. Uh, it's all interrelated to some degree. I think it's a great, a great I, way to end it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants, like, whether it's me as a sports writer or the people reading about it, I don't know if anyone really cares about just, like, box score analysis anymore, which is what it used to be, it feels like. I think that's a, um, yeah, I think that's well said. All right, um, I'm going to let you go um, to cover a game tonight, your full-time job. Um, thank you for giving us a couple minutes. Anything uh, you want to plug, promote before you go? No, so subscribe to The Athletic, read our Knicks coverage, read all those stories that you referenced, and uh, just know there will be plenty more as the season goes on. I second that. Mike is the best there is. Um, I've enjoyed your stuff greatly over, well, since you've been writing, and um, I look forward to a lot more of it in the season ahead. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me, man.